good way. We've been able to sing and pray uh, together. We want to take this part of our worship and look at God's Word. And then also we'll be offering uh, communion here in just a little while. <clears throat> I want to continue some random thoughts about gratitude uh, this evening and begin with some practical suggestions. It has been suggested, uh, first of all, that uh, to be more grateful, some people keep a blessings journal. A blessings journal. You know, Paul, the Apostle Paul, was one of the great men of the gospel. and He was so grateful. When you read his letters, you can see the gratitude just overflowing. We'll be looking at some of that this evening. Uh, but perhaps what made Paul so grateful is he not only thought it in his mind, but he expressed it on paper and wrote it down. And so having a blessings journal or finding some sort of constructive, physical way of expressing uh, your gratitude sometimes helps us. And also along those lines, some folks suggest that if you get in the habit of writing thank you notes for everything that is a blessing in your life whenever it's possible to send a thank you note to, to someone or to several someone throughout the week, that in turn helps our hearts become uh, grateful to everyone and grateful for blessings, but especially grateful to God James 1.17 says, Every good gift, every perfect gift comes down from above, from the Father of lights, with whom is no variableness, neither shadow that is cast uh, by turning. Another great suggestion to become more grateful is to never compare yourself with someone else. Now, Jesus tells a story in Luke 18, verses 9 to 13, about two who go to the temple to pray, a Pharisee and a publican. You're so impressed with the, uh, the heart and the prayer of the publican way off in the corner because he just simply he can't hardly bring himself to look up to heaven. He just says, uh, Lord, be merciful to me, a sinner. But the Pharisee, on the other hand, uh, he kept comparing himself to other people. He said, I'm, I'm thankful that I'm not like this publican. I'm not an extortioner. I, I'm not, I haven't committed adultery. And so you can obviously see that the Pharisee in that story is not grateful to God. And one of his problems is he keeps comparing himself to someone else. And if we do that, we'll never become uh, grateful as God would have us be. And then songs also. Songs can help us uh, be more grateful. love this uh, one we sang together tonight. To God be the glory, great things he hath done. So loved he the world that he gave his only son who yielded his life in atonement for sin to open the life gate that all may go in. Beautiful words. Sometimes when we're seeking to be grateful, just a poem or a song that we're familiar with can, can really open up our feelings toward God and toward, toward others. But we want to focus on three passages uh, this evening. The first one will be 1 Timothy 1 and verses 12 to 17. The second one will be from Psalm 116, and the third one will be back in Philippians uh, chapter 1. And we want to take our um, thoughts from these three uh, passages. 1 Timothy 1, beginning in verse 12, Paul is thanking the Lord Jesus, and he thanks him for three things. Notice in verse 12. First, Paul thanks the Lord uh, for the strength that he's given him. You see, sin makes us weak. Larry read from us, uh, he read for us from Romans chapter 5 this morning, 
as we were thought, thinking about the Lord's Supper and how that Jesus, he died for us. But it says there in Romans 5 that while we were yet weak, Christ died for the ungodly. Sin makes us weak. Have you experienced that in your life? Have you ever disappointed yourself and disappointed God and did something you know it wasn't wrong? You quit, you're quick to turn it, turn from it, and you know it's wrong. You pray to God about it, but still, doesn't that just create a weakness and a, it takes the, the uh, thrive out of your day? Sin makes us weak. Paul is thankful to the Lord Jesus because he's given him strength, because he's helped him to overcome sin. He's... He's helped him to receive the forgiveness of sin and then be able to live for the Lord instead of for uh, the world. A second thing that Paul is grateful for here in verse 12, 1 Timothy 1 and verse 12, he, he's thankful that the Lord trusts him. He says, you have counted me faithful. You have, you have judged me to be faithful. In other words, you've, been, you've judged me to be trustworthy in, in, in how that... God and his providence brought the gospel into the life of Paul. Paul says, you, you judge me to be faithful. In fact, God feels that way toward everybody walking around on earth. God would have all men to be saved, 1 Timothy 2 and verse 4, and to come to the knowledge of the truth. God trusts everybody. If, if, if everybody would let the gospel come into their life, he, he thinks everybody has the has the know-how, they have the ability to know and to learn and then to begin to serve God. So first, Paul is thankful for the strength that Jesus has given him. And secondly, he's thankful for the trust that he counted Paul trustworthy to offer the salvation to him. And thirdly, Paul is thankful, he is thankful to be put into the ministry of Jesus. He is he has put me into his service or his ministry there again in 1 Timothy 1 and verse 12. Paul thought this to be a high, really a high honor and privilege, and he never took it for granted. Look with me to Acts chapter 20 for just a second. Notice how Paul talks about it there. Acts chapter 20, Paul here is in discussion with the elders at Ephesus. And notice his words here in verse 24, Acts 20, 24. Paul says, I do not account my life of any value, nor as precious to myself. If only I may finish my course and the ministry that I receive from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. That's the, that's the ministry, that's the service that, that God had given to Paul. Paul was very thankful to be in the ministry, to be in service to God, to be able to share the good news about the grace of God. Of, of Jesus. In 2 Corinthians 4, 1 and 2, Paul says, having therefore this, mer this ministry by the mercy of God, having this ministry by the mercy of God, let us not lose heart. Let us not faint. Let us not faint. And one of the great encouragements of life is to remember that God has been so gracious to us to give us a purpose. So many people are wandering around on the earth and they have no idea why they're here or or where they come from, or where they've been, or where they're headed spiritually, or, or what may await them after this life. But Paul was so thankful that the Lord had put him into uh, the ministry. Now notice those three things that Paul's thankful for there in verse 12. And then notice from verse 13 and onward, three add-ons. Three add-ons. Okay. In other words, 
Paul said, God gave me these things in spite of my past. Verse 13. God gave me these things in spite of my bloody past. And Paul had a very bloody history. He said, before I was a blasphemer and a persecutor and I injured a lot of people. In fact, all of Paul's past life before Christ was about injuring, bringing pain to other people. Blaspheme means that he brought pain through his words. Okay. Being a persecutor means that he brought pain through his threatenings. He would threaten people and make them fear through his, um, through his words. And then the fact that he injured people means that he actually inflicted, he actually inflicted physically by action, inflicted pain on people's bodies. We remember that Paul was there at the stoning of Stephen, of all things, Acts chapter 7. And so this was Paul's bloody uh, past. And so Paul was saying, in spite of my history, the Lord has given, given me these things. How thankful I am. There in verse 13, Paul says, but I received mercy. This is pointing to a particular point in time. And we know by Paul's own words in Acts 9 and Acts 22 and Acts 26 that the time in which he received this mercy, or in other words, the time in which he received the forgiveness was when Ananias came to him and Acts 22 and 16, and said, Paul, why do you tarry? Why are you down there praying? Get up, get yourself baptized, wash away your sins, and call upon the name, calling upon the name of the Lord. And so that's the point that Paul's talking about. He said, he said, but I obtained mercy. I received mercy, in other words. The mercy of God, as it pertains to salvation, is readily available, but we must receive it. And that's what Paul did when Ananias came and explained to him fully the gospel of Jesus. He said, but I received mercy, verse 13 here in 1 Timothy 1, because I did it ignorantly in unbelief. Now Paul's past was terrible. But he admits that what he had been doing was just out of pure, sincere lack of knowledge. In fact, he says in Acts 26 and verse 9, he said, before he came to Christ, he verily thought that he must do all things contrary to the name of Jesus. In Acts 23, 1, he says, I have lived in all good conscience up to this day. Paul was just wrong, and he was lost. Okay? Being sincere, but yet being wrong, still made him lost, but he said, I did it ignorantly in unbelief. And he's, he's so thankful then to the Lord that he had learned the gospel way. I did it ignorantly in unbelief. Now, notice what's implied there. Proper knowledge of the Lord leads us to belief. Improper knowledge of the gospel leads us to unbelief. See? It's not that Paul didn't believe in God Almighty, but he had been led wrong in someone's teaching in his past. And so he was made an unbeliever because he was sincerely wrong. And so notice here, Paul's thankful, but in, and God had granted him these gifts in spite of his past. But also, another add-on here is that he's grateful because of the grace of Jesus, verses 14 and 15. So in spite of his past, but because of the grace of Jesus. Notice verse 14 Still here in 1 Timothy 1, 
He says, the grace of our Lord was exceedingly, overflowed, exceedingly abundant with faith and love, which is in Christ uh, Jesus. You might say that God's grace empowered Paul. It, it, It motivated him with so much energy. Paul, knowing how much of a disappointment he had been to God when he received mercy and received salvation, then that that drove him to do all he could do for the Lord for the rest of his life. And that's what he's talking about here in 1 Timothy 1.14. The grace of our Lord just overwhelmingly exceeded into my life with more and more faith and love. In 1 Corinthians 15 verses 9 and 10, Paul said that he had persecuted the church of God and it was not proper even to call him an apostle. But then verse 10, 1 Corinthians 15 He says, but by the grace of God I am what I am. And His grace which was bestowed upon me wasn't bestowed upon me in vain, but I labor more abundantly than they all. Notice that. I labor more abundantly than anyone else. Yet not I, but the grace of God who is in me. And so Paul says, God has given me these gifts and it's because, not because of me, Paul said, but because of the grace of Jesus. And he goes on to say in verse 15, This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptation that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am chief. We know that it is said of Jesus in Luke 19 and verse 10 that he came to seek and save the lost. And one of those was the Apostle Paul. And Paul felt it very personally. He was very sensitive to the fact that he had been in opposition to Jesus. And you you can feel this with his words because notice he says, of whom I am chief. Whom I am chief. He, he felt it in his mind. He, he knew how wrong he had been. And from that point on, he, he allowed that to just be the driving force, the energy maker, if you will, in his life. And so Paul was very grateful. In spite of his past, God had granted him gifts in spite of his past. And God had granted him gifts because of Jesus. And God had granted Paul's gifts, and here's our third add-on, for the purpose, for a very special purpose. Notice verse 16. Verse 16. Paul said, Now, that in me as chief, God might show forth all his longsuffering as a pattern or as an example unto them who should hereafter believe. Paul studied this out and he was thinking that God in his good ways, in his good providence, he, he chose me to be an example of someone coming to Christ that maybe others would see, maybe others of my own background, own similar background would see this and know for sure that they too can come to Christ. I mean, if God will extend his loving arms out to a, a bloody wolf like Paul. And Paul was like that. Paul was like a, a wolf going among a, a bunch of helpless sheep. And he was just persecuting them and dragging them to prison. Both, both men and women and, and entire families. He was like a ravening wolf. And if, and if God would extend loving arms and loving forgiveness toward Paul then perhaps he will, and indeed he will, to anyone. And so Paul looked at his gifts from God, 
And he said, you know, God has blessed me in spite of my past. God has blessed me because of the Lord Jesus. God has blessed me and he intends this blessing to be an example for others to be able to follow. 1 Timothy 1. Notice that carefully. And Paul is in a sense thanking God but also celebrating his freedom, his deliverance. You remember in, in Exodus 15 how that God brought children of Israel through the Red Sea under the leadership of Moses. And Moses and the people of Israel in Exodus 15, they, they sang a song. A, a song of joy, a song of happiness, a song of, of gratitude. You remember when, when the prodigal son came home? We read about that in Luke 15. And the father explained to the older brother, this my son was dead and now he's alive. He was lost and he was, he's now found. Let us, it is right for us to celebrate. It's right for us to make merry because he is back home. He's back home. That's what Paul's doing here. He's celebrating uh, the, the blessings of God. All right. So the second passage uh, tonight is Psalm 116, verse 12. Psalm 116, verse 12. And this is a simple verse. has a good question in it. Psalm 116, verse 12. What shall I render unto the Lord for all his benefits toward me? What shall I render? Isn't that a good question? What shall I render unto the Lord for all his benefits toward me? Notice that there is a recognition in this verse. A recognition for all his benefits. There's a lot of them. You can say that the blessings of God are both, as we say, quantitative and qualitative. Quantitative in the sense that how many they are. If we have any sense at all, we're able to get up every morning and look around us and notice the people and notice the, the home in which we have, notice the, the food that we have, notice everything about us and just realize how indeed blessed we are. And if we, even if we didn't have all that, we would still be abundantly uh, blessed. Quantitatively God blesses, but also in a qualitative way because he brings to us the very things that we need. We don't deserve it. We don't deserve it at all, but it's things that we need. Somebody, somebody has actually um, defined grace in that way. I heard this when I was very young, but I've I, I held on to it. Grace is something that we don't deserve, but something we need. That's grace. Something we don't deserve, but something we desperately need. Look in your Bibles at Psalm 103. Psalm 103 is compares to Psalm 116 a little bit. Psalm 103. Verse uh, 1 through 3. We'll do. Uh, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless His holy name. Is that the way we worship? Bless the Lord, O my soul. Bless... All that is within me, let me bless His holy name. Verse 2, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all His benefits. There they are. And forget not. Don't, dare to, don't you dare forget all the benefits, all the blessings of God. Who forgives your iniquities and who heals uh, your diseases. Jesus is known as the great physician. The physician of the soul. Doesn't he say in Luke chapter 5, 27 to 32, those that are whole do not need a physician, but those who are, 
who are sick. I have come not to call the righteous, but sinners unto repentance. Luke 5, 31 and 32. Jesus is the great physician, and part of the benefits of Jesus is his forgiveness and his uh, protection over our souls. And so there's a recognition here in Psalm 116, verse 12. Look at all of his benefits. And then there is a response. There's a response. There is a response that is expected. When you look at the benefits of God, there's an automatic response that ought to, be, ought to follow. What shall I render unto the Lord? Okay. I was uh, listening to a newscast a while back, and they were interviewing a, a five-star general. And um, he had since retired several years ago. He served when there was no politics in the military. And, um, but he had been out working in behalf of some folks in the country that needed help. And one statement he made was this. He said, uh, leaders do not take credit. They take responsibility. And that's what this verse is about here in Psalm 116, verse 12. What shall I render unto the Lord for all his benefits toward me? We don't, we don't look to take credit. That, that's, that runs so very opposite of all that Jesus stands for. Okay. And you hear it in, in the words of the New Testament. For example, in, in Galatians 6 and verse 14, Paul said, God forbid that I should ever boast, save in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom the world has been crucified unto me and I unto the world. And when those... Travelers and, and workers, and teachers of the first century, when they, when they did their work and they would come back and report, like in Acts 14, 27, they would report, and they would always say it like this. They would say, we want you to understand all that God has done among the Gentiles. All, that God, all the doors that God has opened, all the doors that we've been able to enter into because of God's grace, and all the... God has been able to do. Even though they had been out day by day and long hours putting in the work day by day, yet they would never, no, never, not even dare even to even utter a breath that somehow that the credit belongs to, the, to, them, to them. In Deuteronomy 8, there's a warning to that generation who would get to go into the land of Canaan. But Deuteronomy 8, 17 and 18, the Moses says uh, to this new generation, he said, but beware when you come into this land, lest you begin to say, by my own power and by my own strength, I have gotten this wealth. Beware, lest you forget God. It is God, he goes on to explain there, it is God who has given you the ability to go out and earn. God has given us the ability to go out and teach or to do good works. And we must never ever. Okay, we just don't take credit, but we do take response, responsibility. And Jesus teaches this, of course, in Luke chapter 12 and verse 48 when he said, to whom much is given, much shall be required. That's a statement that we'll never forget. To whom much is given, much shall be required. We don't take credit, but we, do, we are anxious to take responsibility. It is said that a teacher's or a leader's or 
any Christian's goal as you are encouraging someone is for that someone to be able to serve Christ and so, and so begin to grow in Him that it's as if you were never there in the first place. And that's exactly how Christ intends it. Okay. The credit and the glory goes to the Lord. And so here in Psalm 116 verse 12, there is a recognition, there is a response, and there is a resolve that he's going to render something to the Lord because of all his benefits. But what's the gauge? What, what, what's the measurement? What, what do you go by? When, you, when you're sitting there or you're standing there or you're in prayer and you're saying, okay, what am I going to give to the Lord? Uh, what am I going to be willing to do for the Lord? What's going to be the measurement there? What's, what's the gauge you go by? Okay. Is, are you going to look at a friend of yours and say, well, I'm going to do sort of like this friend does? Am I going to look at my, my parents or other relatives and I'm going to say, well, I'm going to do like, like they have done. It seems to have worked out fine with them. Everybody pats them on the back, so if I do that, then uh, I should be okay. But that's not the gauge that, that the psalmist is using here in Psalm 116. He's saying, my measurement is the Lord's benefits. I'm going to look at the Lord's benefits. I'm going to look at all of them, and then I'm going to render my service unto Him. That simply means that we are going to be full throttle all the time. That we're going to continue to grow in Christ all the time. Because it's like Paul said, right, in Romans 1, uh, 14, that he's a debtor. And he's a debtor to the Greeks and to the barbarians, to the wise and and the unwise. Why does Paul feel like he's a debtor? Because it's a debt we cannot ever pay off. It's, it's, It's a constant need we have to serve due to all the benefits of the Lord. So here in Psalm 116, notice we recognize the blessings, we respond to them, and then we have a resolve in our heart um, to follow God. And then quickly, Philippians 1 and verse 3 and following is a gratitude for the partnership that Paul had with that great church in in Philippi. And we won't spend just a great amount of time here. This is familiar to you. But I want you to notice something. Paul will say here in Philippians 1, 3 through 6 that these brethren had been uh, assisting him in the gospel proclamation from the first day, from the first day until the time in which he's talking. He's in, as he writes this epistle, he's in, in prison in Rome. He said, but from the first day until now. So Paul goes back into his past. Okay. He goes back into his past as he extends gratitude to his brethren. His past. And he thinks about those early associations. Do you ever do that? Do you ever try to go back and remember the day you were baptized? Well, that's good for us. It's good for us. Do you ever go back and think about what you were thinking when you were baptized? Do you remember the people who were helping you the most when you were baptized? Do you remember the feelings that you had? Do you remember what you wanted to accomplish in life? Do you remember the appreciation you had when, uh, for Jesus uh, when you come up out of the water? Do you, do you remember the resolve that you had? 
Paul was thinking about to the first day that he was in Philippi. That goes back to Acts 16, 15 when he was able to go out by that riverside and teach Lydia and some other friends. And Lydia and her household were baptized in the cross. That was the beginning of his association with the church in Philippi. Okay. And all the way down to this time that he's sitting there in, in Rome in this prison and writing this letter, they have been with him. They've been with him in Philippi. They've been with him in Rome. They had been with him in Thessalonica. They had been with him in Rome. They had, they had sent, they even sent, uh, if you look in Philippians 2, uh, this man he called uh, Epaphroditus. Epaphroditus was sent by the church in Philippi to go to Paul in, in Rome in prison to see if he could be an assistance uh, to Paul. They had just been with Paul from the very beginning of the gospel in Philippi up until this very time. For Paul to give thanks, he had to go back in his past do that. And we got to do that too. That's why I was saying, do you, do you remember you remember your first association with uh, the gospel and first association with people that you've been able uh, to assist. And then Paul also thought, thought about the present time. In Philippians uh, 1, 3 through 5, he's, he said, I'm thinking of every one of you and I'm overflowing uh, with thanksgiving. I, I thank you. I thank you. Paul often done this. Um, if you look at other passages, just quickly, we'll just mention them. Like Romans 1, verse 8. 1 Corinthians 1, verse 4. Philemon, verses 3 and 4. Paul was always handy and ready to give thanks to brethren. To church at Corinth, to church at Rome, to Philemon in his house, and the other brethren there in Colossae. He was anxious and ready to give thanks. What a great thing that is. To give thanks. And then if you notice Paul's words here just quickly, he says, um, let's just look at them closely here in Philippians chapter 1. I don't want to misspeak on this at all. But notice, he talks about their future. He says, um, beginning in verse 5, because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day unto now, and I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. This partnership that we've had will bring forth fruit on that day. That, that very day that we're living for, the judgment day, the last day, the day of resurrection, the day that we finally do get to go to heaven, that day, okay, Paul said our partnership is going to bring blessings toward that very day. Notice how he says it in Philippians 4, I believe it's 17, as he's thanking them for, well, notice Philippians 4, 16. He said, even in Thessalonica you sent help to me for my needs once and again. In verse 17 he says, not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that can increase to your credit. You know, if we could just get the, the get brethren to see this, you know, that's that's the goal of teachers. The goal of teaching preachers is that our encouragement from the gospel, or the gospel encouragement itself, is so that you may be able to stand. All of us may be able to stand blameless on that day, on Judgment Day. This will increase the fruit toward uh, your account, and that's how Paul felt about it. So when Paul looked at the past, when he looked at the present, where he was at. 
and he looked toward the future, he was able to give great gratitude to the brethren in Philippi because of the partnership. And that's the proper word to use between those who are engaged in the gospel work on a full-time basis and those who are not. It is a partnership. And it's a partnership for which all of us can be very, very uh, grateful. Thanking other people. Last year a movie came out. I don't know if you're able to see it. It had Tom Hanks in it. I think it's called It's a Wonderful Day in the Neighborhood. And, of course, it's about Mr. Rogers, and he had this TV program many years ago, many years ago, several years ago. And it was before my time. Before my time. Okay. So, uh, but it's, it's, it's an interesting movie because... Um, it's also came out at a time where people were beginning to to try to rebel against um, conservative family life. So here's Mr. Rogers bringing that emphasis to the television, and it becomes very popular. And so some of the reporters wanted to know: Is this guy for real? This guy for he received a lot of criticism, and in the movie, he has a couple of reporters that come to him and just criticize him up one side and down the other, simply because he's just bringing, he's so nice and he's encouraging just very kind and nice virtues and where's this guy coming from and what kind of, where, you know, what cave did you bring this guy out of? And so he was criticizing. And you notice in the movie, and, it, and, it, and it's, it's also real to his real life, when someone would criticize him, he would sit there very calmly and say, I appreciate your insight. That's going to be so helpful to me. And I was thinking, as I listened to that, I thought, man, could I ever do that? Could I do that? Could you do that? Okay. Wouldn't it be great for a marriage? Wouldn't it be great for a marriage? Now, for instance, with Bertha and Ken here. Okay. So Ken's in trouble. And so Bertha comes to see him about it. And she said, I can't believe that you allowed... Uh, our grandchildren to play in this grease again. Their their heads are covered with grease and and their clothes and you're not the one that has to wash this and yet you let them be out here in this. I can't believe you allowed this. And suppose Ken just turned around and said, I appreciate your insight. That's going to be so helpful to me. Probably not going to say that. but And probably none of us are going to say that. But the thought is there and the principle is there And Paul teaches it that no matter what's happening, it's always good to start out with gratitude. Think about all the struggles that the church at Corinth had, but yet Paul started out with gratitude toward those brethren. And so this evening, we simply wanted to look at these three passages. When you look at 1 Timothy 1, beginning in verse 12, gratitude demands reflection because Paul was reflecting on his salvation. When you look at Psalm 116, verse 12, you see that gratitude demands action. Action. What can I render unto the Lord for all his benefits toward me? When you look at Philippians 1, you see that gratitude demands interaction because you want to express that to other people as well.
And so this evening, let's consider our own hearts. Let's consider our own lives. You know, there in Psalm 116, if we had time, we'd go on and read about how that the writer there begins to talk about the vows that he had made to the Lord, pledges he had made to him. Do you ever do that? In your prayer, as you're giving thanks to God, do you ever make a vow to him? Not, I'm not talking about playing games. I'm not talking about saying, you know, Lord, if you will do this for me, then I will do... You don't ever do that in prayer, do you? Lord, if you will give me my desire, then I will work harder ever than before. I'm talking about, I'm talking about just recognizing the blessings of God and then from those blessings making a pledge to Him. Okay. And so we ought not to be afraid to do that because that's our faith. It could be that in your service to God, maybe you feel like you have failed some of your pledges to Him. And the Lord, as we have seen with Paul's life this evening, the Lord is so gracious. He's so willing to receive us. So if you have any spiritual need this evening, we invite you to make that known right now as we stand together as we sing. Brother Eric.